You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So as we're going through the Mishnah of Moed Katan, pretty much just as we did in the Mishnah Beitzah, as we go through this Mishnah, we're progressing from topic to topic in a, in a kind of by chains of association. So we closed on the third Mishnah with questions about irrigating fields, drawing water from tree to tree, whether we can irrigate seeds that have basically not been planted, never been fertilized before the festival. And both of these halachot are taught in the name of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. And we're going to go on to other halachot related to work in the fields. And actually, Kahati, I think Kahati suggests that this halacha is also taught in the name of, Elie, of, of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, although it doesn't say so. But the Mishnah just continues. It just rolls on from the question of irrigating the fields to trapping animals which are going to destroy the fields. Tzadin eta ishut veta ach barim mistei ha'ilan umistei halavan shelok adarko bamoed uvashvit. We can trap moles. An ishut, I think, is a mole, but it's described in the commentators as some kind of animal with no eyes that seems to dig holes and make mess. So it seems to be a mole. Or something like a mole, anyway. And an akhbar is definitely a mouse. And we trap them in stehailan, in that's a tr- an orchard, basically. I've I've translated here as a tree field, but it's basically an orchard. Umi stehalavan, and and um and in a grain field. But we don't do it in the usual way. Shelokadarko. And this is we talked about the fact that there's a tension between the need to not do things on Chol HaMoed, but also the need to avoid financial loss. And one of the ways, which we're going to see very frequently, in one of the ways in which the rabbis reconcile this tension is by saying, okay, we're going to do some work, but we're not going to do it in the usual way. We're going to do it in a non-standard way. So, And the usual way of setting a trap seems to have been to dig a hole and to put a trap in the field. So you can see, for example, if you're digging a hole in an arable field in the seventh year, well, this feels really like ploughing. And if you're doing it in Cholamoid, this feels really like work. So we can understand why we would do that in a, in a non-standard way. And the sages come back and say, we can do this in a orchard, in a tree field, in the usual way, there seems to be a an assumption that perhaps the moles or the mice do more damage in the orchard than they do in the arable field. Or maybe the issue of making holes is different. You know, maybe making holes in a field, in an orchard, is different from making holes in an arable field, which really feels very, very, very close to ploughing. And so they say, So the sages say, look, you can operate in an orchard in the usual way, but in an arable field, not in the usual way. 
And now we're going to change subject. We're going to change subject in the middle, middle of the Mishnah, as we've said before. We can block up a breach. This is a breach in a wall or something. We can block up a breach in the wall during the festival. And in the seventh year, we build in the usual way. Well, look, we can sense that in the seventh year, interesting, by the way, that all of these Mishnayot are making parallels between the intermediate days of the festival and the seventh year. We'll need to figure out why that is. Um, we can see that building something is not related to the seventh year because it's not plowing or improving the land. But it is work, of course. And the commentators are clear about the fact that if this was a breach in a wall of a house or a courtyard, clearly you'd stop it up during Cholam Word because you're anxious about monetary loss. Some robber might come through it. But in if it's just a garden wall, the possibility of loss is is kind of less and okay so you don't build it properly but you kind of block it up and then we go on to sarat we're going on to leprosy plague rabbi meir omer in etanagaim rabbi meir says we're going to have two different halachot from rabbi meir Rabbi Meir says we inspect plague spots. These are a, this is a priest who's inspecting plague spots. If someone discovers plague, then the priest has to come out immediately, and he may, by the way, declare it immediately not plague. So he can he can make a ruling immediately that this is not plague, but he might also make a ruling that this person has to be has to be closed off for seven days. So Rabbi Meir says the priest can look at plague spots at the beginning, in other words, at the beginning of the plague, lakel to be lenient. Avalulachmir, he can't, he can, he can release someone from the plague because this is a, it's a, it's a happy thing to do on Cholamued. You want to release someone from being shut up, but you can't, you can't actually go the other way. And the sages disagree. If you're going to make a judgment, you're going to make a judgment. It might go either way. So they rule that we don't look, we don't inspect these plague spots on Cholamawed because you might actually have to, you might have to actually have to shut him up. And now Rabbi Meir is going to go on to, we're going to associate Rabbi Meir with halachot about mourning. And we'll see again that issues of mourning run right the way through every single chapter of this tractate. So, I mean, and in general, by the way, the law in the Gemara, in, in, in the, the Talmud, all of the laws of mourning are taught in Moed Katam, but we'll see that this theme of mourning seems to run right the way through. And I, I'm not, you know, like the parallel with the seventh year, I, it's not quite clear to me why this should be so, but perhaps we'll understand more by the end of the track day why it is so anyway rabbi meir says he goes on to say he also said rabbi meir said a man can gather his father's and mother's bones because this is a joy for him 
And apparently in the time of the Mishnah, they, when you died, they would put you in a sort of a temporary grave. And they wait until your flesh had kind of completely wasted away and decayed. And then they would take your bones and rebury your bones in a proper family mausoleum. So in other words, burying the body and letting it decay was separate from the final burial of the bones. So Rabbi Meir is talking about this final burial. He'll say, look, you can come and you can get your father and your mother's bones. Because it's a great joy for him. And Rabbi Yossi is going to disagree. Rabbi Yossi on Mer Evel Hulor. Rabbi Yossi says, no, it's a mourning for him. You can't do that. And actually, we don't mourn on Chol HaMoed. Lo yorer adam al meitove lo yaspideno kodem l'regel shloshim yom. Actually, we don't... Um, we don't stir up wailing. In the time of the Mishnah, again, they would have been hiring professional wailers or, for that matter, professional eulogizers. We're not going to do that. We're not going to stir up wailing for one's dead nor um, make a eulogy for him. And Gemara says, actually, we're not going to do it for 30 days before the festival. The Gemara observes that the, the memory of somebody who's passed away actually sticks in your, it, it sticks in your heart for 30 days. So even, uh, uh, you know, up to 30 days before the festival, you'd moderate your mourning because you don't want that feeling in your heart to be extended right through the festival. And then along the same lines, we don't dig burial niches and tombs during the festival. The, the, these burial niches seem to be um, uh, niches. The, the, these are holes cut out of caves so that the cave itself will be prepared and they will cut out holes in the caves to put the bodies in. Ukvarot bamoed and tombs. The Rambam suggests that the tombs are actually built above ground. So a kukin is a sort of a, a place in a cave that's below ground and a kever in the language of the Mishnah, is a tomb which is above ground. And the Rambam says, um, we don't build actually build a tomb above the ground on Cholom Wed. I, I think the assumption of the Rambam is, you know, it takes a long time to build a tomb above ground. It's clearly to be, for someone to be buried in after the festival. So, Ein Chofrim Kukin Ukvarot Bamoed. We're not going to, prepare burial niches or tombs during the festival. But but we can sort of adapt or inaugurate burial niches during the festival. And the Bartonura says, look, if it had been, if it was too long, they'd shorten it. And if it had been too short, they'd kind of lengthen or widen it. So you've got these niches in the sides of the caves, which are ready for burial. But of course, and, and they might be half prepared, but of course they don't know who's going to die. We have to bury people on on um, we have to bury people on the intermediate days because, well, 
we, we, it'd be terrible not to. But we don't know who's going to die. So we have to adapt their size slightly to fit whoever does die actually during the festival. And then we're going to explain that we make a nivrechet is a sort of a, it's a, it's a hole. Might, it might be a bathing pond, but the assumption here is it's actually a hole to, to put, it's a grave to put a body in. We make a nivrechet on the moed, on, on the for intermediate days. And if we've got a dead person in the courtyard, we're actually going to make a coffin. So again, we wouldn't want to make a coffin without a dead person being there on Cholamued because it, it looks like work. It looks like we're a professional coffin maker. But if, if there's a dead body there, we can certainly make the coffin. Although Rabbi Yudah will say, Rabbi Yudah or Ser, Rabbi Yudah will forbid, Eila in Ken Yeshi Nasarim. Rabbi Yudah will forbid unless there are actually sawn boards at hand waiting. In other words, unless we've already done the sawing in advance before Cholha Moed. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.